Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Let me read to you a little story from It's a true story from a third grader. His name is Danny Dutton from Chula Vista, California. And he tells us his innocent thoughts as to why he believes in God from a third grader. He said one of the one of God's main jobs is making people. He makes these to put in place of the ones that die. So there'll be enough people to take care of the things on the earth. He doesn't make grown-ups, just babies. I think it's because they are smaller and easier to make. (laughs) That way, he doesn't take up his time teaching them to walk and talk. He can just leave that up to mommies and daddies. I think that works out pretty good. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of these go on as some people, like preachers, pray at other times besides bedtime. God doesn't have to listen to the radio or TV on account of this as he hears everything, including prayers. There must be a terrible lot of noise going into his ears unless he has thought of a way to turn it off. God sees everything. He hears everything and is everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't go wasting God's time by going over your parents' head by asking for something they, that you cannot have. Atheists are people who don't believe in God. I don't think there are any in our city, or at least there aren't any that come to our church. (laughs) If you don't believe in God, besides being an atheist, you will be very lonely because your parents can't go everywhere with you like to camp, but God can. It's good to know that he's around when you're scared of the dark or you can't swim very good and you get thrown in the real deep water by the big kids. But you shouldn't just think of what God can do for you. I figure God put me here and he can take me back anytime he pleases. And that's why I believe in God. And Nebuchadnezzar, here in Daniel chapter 3, is about to learn the same lesson. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar is about to learn the same lesson as this third grader learned. He doesn't believe in God yet, but he's about to learn that there is a God in heaven and that this God is the God of all gods and there is none like our God. Amen, saints? And that's what Nebuchadnezzar is about to learn. Now, let me just set this up for you. If you haven't been with us, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you can follow. It's very interesting for me to see, perhaps for you also. You can follow the downward spiral 
of Nebuchadnezzar's heart. In chapter one, got a pen, you're going to need it tonight. In chapter one, Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan king who doesn't know who God is and he doesn't care who God is. But God cares. And so in chapter two, we see a troubled king with insomnia who has a series of dreams and he sees an image of made of gold and silver and bronze and iron. And he's wrestling and he's wondering about the future of the kingdom. And so Daniel comes and gives him the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel says, King, you are the head of gold who's going to be overthrown by a lesser kingdom. Now, we talked about this in chapter two. We have the most powerful kingdom on the earth, the Babylonian kingdom. The Babylonian kingdom is overthrown by who, saints? The Medo-Persian kingdom. And the Medo-Persian kingdom is overthrown by the Grecian kingdom. And the Grecian kingdom is overthrown by the Roman Empire. And then Daniel tells him about his dream and says, King, you remember the stone that you saw come rolling down the hill who smashed into the image? The image came crumbling down and the stone became a mound, a big mountain. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, King, he says that stone is Jesus Christ. That stone comes out of nowhere and smashes all the other kingdoms. And then the king said to Daniel, the king said, Daniel, your God, it was at that time, he said, Daniel, your God is God and is God above all other gods. And he is the king of all other gods in the earth in chapter two. But then we move on to chapter three. Here we are in chapter three, Sixteen years later, we see a prideful, obstinate king who has changed his mind about God. And as time has passed, he starts to think, who says my empire has to end? Who says that I'm going to be overthrown by a lesser kingdom? He says, I'm not so sure I even like Daniel's interpretation. And he hardened his heart towards God. And in defiance of the revelation and interpretation of the dream, he made an image of gold. As if to say, my kingdom will last forever. My kingdom will be a perpetual power. That's what this image of gold represented. Now, be it known, let it be known, last Wednesday night, I said that chapter 3 is 16 years later between chapters 2 and chapters 3. And then I went on to talk about these young men who are teenage boys, I even said, because I went back and checked the tape. Now, if the young men were 16 in chapter 2 and chapter 1, and it's 16 years later, well, let's just say, let's round it right up to how old would they be, about 32? I cannot tell you, after service last Wednesday night, (laughs) if one more person would have come to me and said, Pastor Rodney, now, you know, I ain't trying to correct you or nothing like that. (laughs) 
but you know, you said that they were 16 years old, and then you said it was 16 years later. So, and you said they were teenage boys. Now, Pastor Rodney, wouldn't that make them 30 something years old? That was the first person. I, I didn't so much as get off the steps. Okay, I'm walking down like this here. Praise the Lord. God bless y'all. Okay, so, I, you know, I'm a humble guy, all right? So I said, yeah, you know, that's right, yes, mm, good thinking, good, yeah, yeah, got me. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to play this off, this is all right, okay, fine. Do you know I didn't even get off the steps, somebody else came up, Pastor Rodney. Now, you know, you said they were 16 years old, and, you know, and, and I'm telling you, before I left church that night, 20 people came up to me, and I was at the point of like, you know, if one more person comes up to me and tells me that, ain't no telling what going to happen. <laughs> ain't no telling. Y'all going to have to leave me alone. Well, wouldn't you know it, it was the day before service. I'm in my office, an email comes popping through. Pastor Rodney, now you mentioned last week. Okay, 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 okay. Good. Y'all listen to my preaching. This is a good thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Now, are we settled? Please say amen. amen. Don't bring this up to me again. Okay, because you don't want none of this, all right? All right, it's done. So, I was... Wrong... And you guys were not so wrong. Okay. And so now, in chapter 3, thank you, Jesus, I got that out. Now, in chapter 3, look at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, very important, in the providence of Babylon. Now stop right there. You want to notice right off the back that this is a very odd-shaped image. Its height is 66 cubits and its width is 6 cubits. That would be 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. So this image of gold, it's actually overlaid with gold, it's not solid gold. This image that's overlaid with gold is a tall, skinny thing. And you want to notice that it was in the plain of Dura. Now, why is that important? Because there are many people who question the authority of the scriptures. There are many people who question the archaeology and the geography of scripture, and so here we find out that this image was in the plain of Dora, which validates the Bible because archaeologists have discovered in this very area, which is southeast six miles of ancient Babylon, archaeologists have discovered this huge platform. It's 45 feet square and 25 feet high, and they are convinced that this is where the statute would have stood that King Nebuchadnezzar built. Fact. Which validates the scriptures. And as a matter of fact, you know, this is really interesting. They, they, when they found this, this platform, there was nothing else around it for miles. It wasn't in Babylon. It was in the plain of Dura, which is not in Babylon. But they found nothing around it. Why? 
Because remember, the king had the people all come and bow down and worship. There would have been thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and therefore they would need the space. So nothing's around this image. Nothing's around this platform. So Nebuchadnezzar, he makes the gold image, and he makes a decree. As you move on through the chapter, he makes a decree that when the music plays, everyone will fall down and worship the image. And if any refuse to worship the image, they will be cast into the fiery furnace. And then the three Hebrews. Now, I keep wanting to call them boys, but we have already made it clear that they are not boys, okay? Don't start with me, all right? Okay, so if I make the mistake of calling in them boys, calm down, all right? We already got it. The three Hebrew fellas, (laughs) Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, that's their God-given name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down, and they were brought to the king. And he said, the king said to them, the king said, fellas, is what I'm hearing true? Do you refuse to worship my image? And they said, true, O king, in verse 14. And he said, listen, I'll give you a second chance. When you hear the music from the Babylonian Philharmonic Orchestra, you need to bow. But if you refuse to assume the position, I will cast you into the burning furnace. Verse 15 says, and notice, look at it in your Bible, and then he goes on to boast and look at the obstinate pride. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Pick up in verse 16. If you're there, say amen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, if you choose to put us in the fire, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning furnace, from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, circle that, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now stop right there. They said, king, if that's what you want to do, our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands. Now I want you to notice something here. It says, but if not, but if not. Understand, and we talked about this last week, they are not doubting God's ability. They are submitting to God's authority. This is important. They are not doubting God's ability, but they don't presume presume upon God's will because they don't know God's will. No one knows God's will. We discover God's will as we obey God. But we don't know God's will. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. You don't know God's will. And we're not to presume upon God's will. And they're not presuming upon God's will. It's almost like Job said in Job 13, 15. Job said what? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. They're kind of saying the same thing. King, if you put us in the fire... Hey, our God is able to deliver us, but if he chooses not to, if he chooses to allow us to burn in the fire, we will not submit to you, king. That's a pretty bold statement. 
And I love that statement. Why? Because these guys are saying, God, whatever you decide, we trust you. If you decide not to save us, we trust you. If you decide to save us, we trust you. This is overcoming faith. There's tons of books and CDs and tape series and all kinds of stuff out there about overcoming faith. And much of it is false teaching. Because when many people talk about overcoming faith, they're talking about you exercising your faith for what you can get from God. That's a whole nother sermon. But these guys have true, real overcoming faith. Overcoming faith knows God's ability and trusts God's decisions. That's overcoming faith. You got faith? You have overcoming faith? Then you know God is able. I trust his ability, but I also trust his decisions. Overcoming faith is not just knowing what God can do, but it's learning to step back and let God do what he wants and acknowledge that it's right. Now, that's overcoming faith. For you to say, I step back, God, do what you want. And whatever you do, God, I acknowledge that you are right. That's overcoming faith. That's what we see here. Real overcoming faith is trusting God no matter what happens. Real overcoming faith has faith in the Father, not faith in faith. Gosh, I keep wanting to preach this sermon. Not faith in faith. You don't want to put faith in your faith. You want to put faith in the Father. You see, his Father knows best. I know there was a TV series like that some time ago. Father does know best. Our Heavenly Father, He knows best. And so we're to trust Him. And these guys believe it is better to die with conviction than to live with compromise. And although they did not know the verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, they certainly lived it. Is it on the screen? Why don't you read it with me? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I love that verse. See, they didn't have this verse. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't have this verse, but they sure did live it. Don't be a conformer, be a transformer. I'm not talking about the robots. We're to be a transformer, not a conformer. Don't conform to the things of this world. You know, it makes me think of one of my favorite all-time characters in history. His name is Polycarp. Polycarp. And Polycarp, he was one of the early church fathers, perhaps you know. And he was the bishop in the church at Smyrna in 156 A.D. And listen to this. Polycarp, talking about being not being a conformer, being a transformer, having overcoming faith. Polycarp loved Jesus and the Roman government wanted to kill him. And they arrested him and they brought him in. And while taking him in 
The Roman official said, listen to this, Polycarp, recant your position, deny Christ, bow once, and your life will be spared. And so they walk him into an arena filled with people, and they're mocking, and they're laughing. And the proconsul said to Polycarp, he said, Polycarp, he says, respect your years, old man. Swear by Caesar, revile Christ, and I will release you. And then Polycarp said this famous statement, for 86 years I have served him, and he has never wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And then Polycarp And then the proconsul, they threatened to cast him in with the wild beast. But Polycarp answered and he said, call them. I like Polycarp. (laughs) When you're already dead, you can't kill me. See, the Bible says that we're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We are to die to self and to live to God, live unto God. Amen. Okay. So if you're already dead, you can't kill me. This is Polycarp. He's like, they're going to feed him to the wild beast? Call him. I don't care. He was already dead. You can't kill a man that's already dead. You can't kill a corpse. So then he said, he was then warned that he might be burned at the stake. And even that failed to move him. He responded, listen to this, you threaten me with fire which burns for only a moment, but you are ignorant of the fire of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Unbelievable. And then actually, they, they set him, put him at the stake, set him on fire, and then they took a spear and stabbed him, and his blood came gushing out and put out the fire, and then he died. Interesting. Overcoming faith doesn't conform to the world. These guys, they had overcoming faith and they refused to bow. Well, the only thing that was hotter than Nebuchadnezzar is the furnace. Look at in verse 19. If you're there, say amen. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that the heat, that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor. These are strong men who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their coats. Now, he look at the description from the Holy Spirit. These men were bound in their coats their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God thing, God thing. And these three men... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said, True, O king. Look, in verse 25, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt And the form of the fourth is like who, saints? The Son of God. 
this has got to be one of the best stories in the Bible. Kids love it. Big kids love it. It's a wonderful story. And so these guys, give me your attention. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They love God. They, they serve God. They trusted God. They were obedient to God. And what happens? They find themselves cast in the fiery furnace. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the disciples who obeyed Jesus. He said, get in the boat and go to the other side. And while they were going to the other side, remember, they find themselves in a storm. And remember, I told you, That you can find yourself being obedient to God, doing everything that God has commanded you to do. And yet there still will be storms and trials and sufferings in your life because this is life. And because God loves you, God's got a plan for you. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.